Welcome to the P2C Plus Conference Podcast. Sometimes it's small and like carry on, and sometimes it's big, but we all got baggage when we're in this city. Yeah. So, I, do we need to introduce ourselves again? Cheryl and Neil? Um, Josephson, and we lead Family Life, yeah, well, actually, which is a ministry of power to change, as we said this morning. Uh, before that, we were marriage pastors at a large church in California, 10,000 people in the church. And during the course of a week, we would talk to hundreds of couples. So. Between family life and going coast to coast and talking to literally thousands of couples and being in this church literally talking, we have talked to thousands of couples, let me just tell you that. And we started to identify some patterns, some common patterns. And one of those things that we kept hearing over and over again is that um, our families of origin profoundly affect the way we do relationships. But usually we're unaware of that. And so it surprises us, and it, it sabotages us, and we, we jump into things or we repeat patterns that we never wanted to repeat, or we're so determined not to repeat patterns that we go the opposite direction towards another, another unhealthy place, and it just creates all sorts of different uh, problems for us in relationships and certainly in marriage. So one of the things we want to do is encourage people to start dealing with that family baggage, identifying some of that stuff before they're in serious relationships so that the yeah, this is, is a little smooth. This is fantastic that you would choose to be here. And I don't know whether you're in relationships, not, or whatever, but this is a great time for you to talk about. Case in point, so uh, three weeks ago, Cheryl and I had a two-day intensive with this couple who have been married 25 years and uh, you know, really love each other, working through some stuff. And as we started to ask around, at the root of their conflict, was some stuff from both their childhoods that they had just never named, never processed, never talked to one another about. And so I'm acting angry, you know, he's acting angry towards her whenever she acts like this because it triggers something in him. You know, so this is what we're talking about. And so this is real life stuff. So, um, we, yeah, and it's great whether you uh, will be married soon, late or never, this is great relational stuff. Like the kinds of things you're working on in your relationship or, or in this session would be really good for any of us to contend with. Okay? Hey, so if you join me in a word of prayer, then I'm going to tell you a, a story about a family that we know. God, guide our thoughts and bring great good out of this time together. I thank you for these men and women. Uh, once again, we lay our hearts before you. Would you send your Holy Spirit to show us truth and uh, guide us in the way? For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Can you all hear pretty well? Yeah. There okay. is one microphone, but we don't. We don't share very. We well. don't do so, well with yeah. one microphone. <laughs> so maybe you don't want to block those guys. Okay. Okay. So we want to tell you about a family we know. Uh, it's a really big family. So uh, we're going to do a little genogram thing here for you. All the squares are uh, males, and so it's twelve boys, one girl. Yeah. Nice, <laughs> lucky girl. Is that you? You kind of look like oh, nope. <laughs> big family. 
complicated family. You got one bio dad, four different bio moms. So this is a complex family, right? Lots of dynamics in this family, as you can imagine. It got even more complicated because dad favored the second youngest son so much so that he turned the whole family against him. You ever seen that? Maybe you've lived with that in your family? Uh, jealousy, rivalry, favoritism, and, and it just created some broken relationships in the family. In fact, um, there, there was enmity between then the mom of the favored child and the mom of the other children. You know, they're at each other, same bio dad, but those moms are in conflict. And so this is a complex family, right? Probably more complicated than your family, but you can tell me later. So some of you know that this is a biblical family. This is Jacob, who with four different women had 13 children, and he so favored Joseph, he turned all his brothers against them. And if you know the story in the book of Genesis, the, uh, they're out working, and the older brothers go, we've had it up to here with this guy, and uh, we're going to kill him. And uh, one of the brothers has an MBA, and he said, no, we're going to sell him, because then we can make money. And so they sold him to some slave traders. And then they killed an animal, and they spilled an animal's blood on Joseph's coat, which was a very special coat that his favorite father gave to him. And then they went back, and they told their father, oh, it was horrible. Joseph was killed by a wild animal. And they watched their father grieve over a lie, and they let him. They let him live in that grief for 10 years. I mean, this is a messed up kind of family, right? This is dysfunctional, lying, deceit, uh, watching your father grieve over lie you tell and all that stuff. This is a bent family. So you kind of go, hmm, how do families get like that? Well, some of you know Jacob's story, right? Jacob had a twin brother named Esau. And Isaac and Rebekah so favored Jacob that he turned Jacob against Esau. Remember that? Uh, Rebecca goes, hey, favored son, I know they're the youngest, but your father's really blind, so we could trick him. We could lie to him. See the deceit? We could lie to him, and you could steal the birthright, and you, my favorite son, could get all the, you know, the inheritance, and we could cut your brother out. That's a screwed up family. And of course, Esau and Jacob didn't get along too good, and Esau wanted to kill Jacob. You're not surprising. So how do families get like this? Well, some of you know the story. Remember Abraham, who's the father of Isaac? Well, Abraham wasn't able to have children with Sarah, so he decided to start his family with Hagar, which, as weird as it seems to us, was sort of okay within their culture. But it created so much enmity. Not okay in our culture. It's not okay in our culture. Be very clear. <laughs> It created so much enmity between Sarah and Hagar that Sarah says, really manipulated Abraham and said, look, it's me or her. So Abraham drives Ishmael and Hagar out into the desert where for sure they would die. I mean, basically he was killing them in a slow way. Uh, but God intervened and saved them. So the point being, oh, sorry. families, we all come from somewhere. Mm -hmm. There's always reasons uh, that come to play in us. So we're going to talk a little bit about what we can do about that. But uh, just before we move on, can you also draw some good news from this? Hmm. Jacob, Isaac, and Abraham are the fathers of the Hebrew faith. 
When you read the first book of the New Testament and they lay out the lineage of uh, Jesus, it goes back to this ethnic group of people, right? And these people, so somehow, in spite of the fact we're seriously dysfunctional, God manages <laughs> to work through people like this. God chooses to work with people like this. So, whatever, you know, we're going to dig a little deeper here, but whatever you think your family is, you know, from A to Z or somewhere in between, God can work with any of us. Mm -hmm. So nobody's out of bounds. None of your families are out of bounds. But what the message is, if we don't deal with the baggage, mm -hmm. we will repeat it. Mm -hmm. But it can be overcome. Because we are encoded or imprinted by our families of origin. They're the first culture that we ever have yeah, contact exactly. with. And so that culture uh, is encoded and, and embedded on us and printed on us. And, and we, it, it just becomes part of who we are. Sometimes that's in a good way, right? Sometimes if we have really healthy families, it's a great kind of encoding or imprinting. Uh, sometimes it's in a really bad way. And some, most of the time, it's a little bit of both. And identifying that is, is the challenge. We are affected by then our broader culture as well. You know, like how when fish swim in water, they absorb the oxygen in the water, which they need to live but they also absorb the toxins. Yeah. We just live in culture. We just live and do our lives. And so we're going to absorb some good things and we're going to absorb some negative, distorted things. A healthy Christian marriage, I think this is a, a healthy Christian marriage requires putting off the distorted patterns of our family of origin and our culture and relearning how to do life God's way and in God's family. That's kind of the essence of what we believe. Christian marriage requires putting off these distorted things and putting on a new pattern of behavior God's way. Romans 12, 2 is my favorite verse. In Can the I just say, just before you go to that verse, because it's great, and I don't want to have to take this back. Don't lose sight of the fact that we're already assuming there are some distortions in our story. Mm -hmm. So can we get to the place maybe we love our families okay and we honor our families, but, but that doesn't mean that they've got it all straight. Our culture doesn't have it all straight. Whatever culture is, is the one that shaped you the most doesn't have it all straight. Or put it this way, we need to submit that to what the Bible says and what God teaches, okay? So that's what we're really teaching here. And so I know sometimes when we're talking about our family, you don't understand it's my family, you don't understand it's my culture, that's my ethnicity, that's the way our people do things. Um, try not to be defensive. And let's just put that all in front and say, I wonder what God's pattern is. Mm. would look yeah, like compared to my family or my culture. That's what we just want to humbly suggest you be open to. Because the verse that I was about to quote, Romans 12, 2, says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. Or in another way, don't become so well adjusted to your culture. Now this is our culture together or our family of origin culture yeah. or our ethnic culture. Don't become so well adjusted to our culture that we just fit in without even thinking about it. So there's an intentionality that we're, we're talking about here. So let's just think of it. So we're going to think. Yeah. yeah. We're going to talk a little bit about So what are some of the distorted patterns that we see in our culture around us or maybe even in families around us? Now, this isn't necessarily your family, but distorted patterns that you see that might affect people's relationships. Yeah. Divorce. Divorce. Okay. Yeah. And the, and the pattern is that it just happens. And <clears throat> that people think it's okay. Well, that, 
Yeah. All right, so she was saying it, it's divorce and it challenges our belief that a marriage can last. Mm -hmm. Because if you know, if you felt it and observed it, either in your family of origin or a sibling or somebody close, yeah, it, it, it rocks your world, right? And, you're, and you are right. Uh, Research-based, statistically-based, children of divorce have a harder time learning to trust. Uh, they have a harder time uh, committing because they have a fear of loss or failure. And they find it easier themselves to leave when things difficult things come into a relationship because again that's a pattern you've seen right it's encoded and printed on them yeah so can i just we talked about being authentic this morning right can we be authentic in the room all right can be honest how many of you are children from a divorce couple yeah okay so here's you, you need to grasp what cheryl said that that uh the statistics indicate it's going to be more challenging for you to build a trusting relationship that lasts and, and all that stuff. Please understand, that's a statistic. Many, many people overcome that. Yeah. What the message needs to be in all these things is you just need to pay particular uh, attention to the scripts that are running in your life. Mm -hmm. So when, when uh, if you were to get married and somebody and your partner, uh, well, you know, we tell this story uh, all the time. One of the guys we used to be on staff with at this church in California, uh, he got married. It was the first marriage for him and the second marriage for his wife. And uh, he's a single guy. He was like 33, I think, when he got married. He pretty used to living on his own anyhow. So they get married. One night, he jumps in the truck, goes out, and gets some milk. When he comes back, his wife's just crying. Just broken. Distraught. And he's like, whoa, whoa, what's going on? Well, you see, she was married. Her first husband was an alcoholic who would disappear for days at a time, go on binges, uh, disappear. And finally, he just disappeared one time and never came back. So Michael goes out for milk, doesn't tell her because he's a single guy, he's not used to being you know, informative. And uh, bam, you know, it triggers something in her. So I guess the story I'm telling is, for those of us who have divorce in our story, it's not, it's not a prophecy. But this is, we're gonna need to handle it and just say, you know what? I am gonna be a particularly attentive to this and so I think I'm gonna need to grow strong in that. Or any of these things we talk about today mm -hmm. can be handled. But not if we pretend they're not there. Remember Cheryl talked about pretense. If we pretend uh, that those things have not affected us, we'll get blindsided by them. Long answer to see your yeah. quick question, or wasn't even a question. Uh, we won't do that for all of them, but yeah. any other kind of distorted patterns we see in our culture, uh, our families? Over-obsession to take and personal Okay. Okay. Over obsession. Like said? TV. Yeah. Sure. To screen time. Obsession to screen time. And entertainment. And entertainment. At the expense of people. Of people relationships. Mm -hmm. Okay. Anyone want to comment on that? Any, <laughs> any other observations about that? Yes. Lots of nods. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, it's I, one of the number one things we hear from couples, particularly young couples. Uh, it's like we don't know how to have a face-to-face -face conversation because all of our conversations are, are this way or online and we don't know how to do this. It's awkward, it's uncomfortable, we've never done it, we don't know how to, how to manage this. And it's really hard to build a lifelong relationship when you don't actually look each other in the eye and, and have a good conversation. So, good point. Any more? Cultural? Behavioral, yeah. I would say um, fatherlessness, with um, whether it be due to being a widow, sure. or whether it, or, or whether it's absentee. Sure. Mm -hmm. And I'm just repeating things. Um, 
just so you can hear it all, fatherlessness was the observation. Whatever the cause, whether there actually is an absence of father through death or divorce, or the father's in the house but not present, right? I think that fatherlessness uh, comes to play. I, I, how many times have we seen couples playing out their childhood securities or insecurities in their marriage? And so somebody gets married and we're working with them later on and, you know, let's talk about fatherlessness and, and sometimes it manifests, you know, that the wife is so, what the husband would say is needy and controlling and always, you know, there and, you know, where are you and what's going on and I phone you 10 times a day and you go, oh, this is about, you're losing my father. And I, and I, and I lost my father, so now I'm really, I'm particularly fearful about that. Uh, so these things play out later, and maybe you go, oh, that would never happen. I'm telling you, it happens. Mm -hmm. and, and, uh, but you know, we, we, uh, we follow Jesus and uh, we live with the power of God and the Holy Spirit in us who can bring healing, who can be a father to us, who can teach us what security looks like even if our earthly family didn't. Mm -hmm. Now, I don't mean it's like this. I don't like it like it's magic but we can draw on resources. So once again, these are great observations, but they're not prophecy. If you go, yeah, that's me, I have a father absence in my life. You know, and men can have father absences too. I mean, I used the, the female uh, example, but I know lots of guys. I knew one guy who was destroying his family, working three jobs and trying to make all this money and provide for his family. When I started talking to him, you know what really drove him? He was seeking his father's approval. I mean, he cared about his family and he was trying to approve but he cared about his father's approval and his father had been dead for 10 years. The guy who grew up never feeling like his father approved of him and lived out of this need to, I wonder if dad's happy, I wonder if dad's happy. And it was affecting his marriage, you know? So it, it, you put your finger on a really good thing and it can affect any one of us. Other distorted patterns, behaviors. Yeah, yeah. I'm not sure if this is a specifically a, a cultural distorted pattern, just because I don't know if I've talked to enough uh, non-believers and, and just people that are okay. in okay. culture to, to know what it's like. But sure, throw it out there. Codependency a lot. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. And, and how would you define that? So what I understand of codependency is the it, kind of an unhealthy uh, relationship in the sense of people are really dependent on the other people, on the other person that to be able to kind of thrive in, in and of yourself mm. as an individual. Mm -hmm. Almost mm -hmm. like you complete me kind of yes. thing. Yeah. Yeah, I think that, that, is, a, that is a cultural mm -hmm. distortion, I think. And, and, you know, most of these distortions have some roots in truth, right? I think we all inherently know that we're not actually quite complete. <laughs> we're not actually whole. We're kind of broken. And we could use some wholeness. And so there's so not a lie. That's true. I think what is a lie is to think that another human being can do that for us. Mm -hmm. You know, we absolutely believe that we were created to be, first of all, in relationship with our creator. And when that gap isn't filled, we look to fill it with mm -hmm. other relationships. And we can do that even in our primary human relationship, our marriages. Uh, we can look and expect this person to fill up something that was never designed for another human being to fill. And then when mm -hmm. they fail us, then we mm. think there's something wrong with the marriage or something wrong with the partner. Or, or maybe themselves. Maybe they or turn maybe, it on themselves. Maybe, yeah. maybe. Yeah. 
in reality, it was never marriage was never designed for that. So you're you're absolutely right. I think that codependency piece comes from a kernel of truth that is has been distorted. Yeah, good point. Somebody else had one over there too. Yeah. Yeah. can come and you know I, I mean there's a sadness in what you're sharing with us too right and I appreciate being honest mm -hmm. is you know when friends come and go out of our lives uh, that hurts us and uh, makes us a little reluctant to trust the next friends wouldn't you say is that a little bit about what you're talking about you know for whatever reason you know mm -hmm. that they come and go the not good enough thing or not enough thing that's that's a common distortion too. any others and then we can move on yeah Blaming the other person. Yeah. Yeah. I think I think there's a tendency, and you know, if if you go back to our first parents, Adam and Eve, right? Uh, there was some blaming going on. Yeah. There was only two human beings. There weren't a whole lot of choices to who to blame. <laughs> so it's kind of like a default position for a lot of us, isn't it? And and I think some of us come from homes where where uh, folks step up and say, "Hey, I'm responsible for that. I'm sorry." And sometimes we come from homes where that's not the case. Mm -hmm. And that could be, you, you, you put your finger on it. So again, we need to name it, identify it. How do I get healthy? Because I don't want to bring that into, into my marriage. See, the best marriages, Cheryl's talking about this before with that codependency thing. The best marriages are, are, are when a reasonably healthy person, because none of us are ever really there, okay? But a reasonably healthy person gets together with another reasonably healthy person and they, of their own free will, say, let's make a new creation. Let's make some promises to each other that we intend to keep. Like, that's it. If somebody goes, oh, I can't live without you. Oh, I can't live without you. That starts to merge towards this codependent thing. So, I mean, it's so romantic to say that. But here's the deal. I would never, ever want to live without Cheryl. But if something happened to Cheryl, and this would be true for me, we would carry on. There'd be a huge hole in my heart. I would never get over it, but I would carry on. You know, God's got other things in my life for me, and I, I mean, that's tragic to even think about. But, but I think that you know, when, you, when we get lost in this in this deep romance, sometimes uh, there's an unhealthy side to it, right? But you see, if if I'm a healthy person who go, I totally want to be with you, and it's my choice to be with you, rather than oh, I would probably die without you. Well, like. Mm -hmm. That puts under you a lot of, under a lot of pressure and says something about me. So again, th this healthy person and healthy person, the Bible says the two shall become one. Mm -hmm. And it's not like this one gets swallowed up by this mm -hmm. one, or this one gets swallowed up by this one. Mm -hmm. It's like two shall become one. Sometimes people use this illustration when they're talking about marriage and they'll have like a big um, table and there's two pictures. Well, three pictures on the table. There's a picture of pink water, and there's a picture of blue water, and then there's a picture in the middle, and then they pour the pink water into the blue water, and you end up with purple water. And that's what they say. This is what marriage is. You know, the pink and the blue, and you get purple, and this is two becoming one. That's a 
terrible illustration. Terrible. For a couple of reasons. First of all, I hate purple. What? <laughs> You lose pink and you lose blue, yeah. right? That is not how marriage works. God spent a lot of time creating pink. Mm -hmm. Just the way that pink person is. Uniquely, individually, pinky. And this person, God spent a lot of time thinking him up too. All that blueness and all that, you know, he spent a lot of time. And it's not obliterated when you get married. Mm -hmm. Something new is created. There is this new purple thing. This new marriage thing that God says, it's a new thing that I will create, but you don't lose the pink and the blue. And that's what, it's kind of magical in a way. I guess if the uh, Trinity is magical in the same way, but it's, it, it, all of those things are true. I'm still an individual, Neil's still an individual, but yeah. we do have something new yeah. together that God is creating when we come together. Yeah. And here's the other thing I'm just saying. Yeah. The more pink, and you don't get lost in the metaphor. I should have picked another non-girly color. But, you know, the more pink you are and the more blue you are, the better the purple. Does that make sense? The healthier this is, the healthier this is, the healthier this is. So, I, you know, I guess it sort of works in that way, but um, yeah. it's a terrible analogy. Don't ever use it when you're talking. The other thing, the other thing that's wrong about it is it looks like it, sorry, it, looks like it happens in an instant. I'm just... Rich. To become one. Yeah, that's the other. Yeah, that's yeah. It takes a lifetime, and probably would take five lifetimes. The, the for better, that to really the better biblical image is found in the Old Testament. We talk about a three-strand cord, right? Yeah. See, all the strands are still there. You can identify them, but when you weave your life and your partner's life together with the life of God in you both, you have a three-strand cord. Now, all of you are still there. That's really important to remember. And Cheryl just flew by the Trinity thing, but this is deep for the theologians in the crowd. This is deep. We live with the mystery that God is three and one all at the same time. You gotta grasp that in marriage, that you are two and one all at the same time. Nobody disappears. That's codependency. That's something else. That's uh, domineering or something. But the two shall be one and they're still two and if you can get your head around the Trinity, you can get your head around that. Any other cultural distortions and then we'll move on. Oh, the list could go on. Yeah, I, thought, I, I thought we missed one back there, I think. Um, I just going to say, like, drug addiction and alcohol. Oh, gosh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That is definitely a complication in, in relationships. Actually, we're going to talk about that a little bit in a moment. So, yeah, for sure. Mm -hmm. So just repeat, there's stuff going on in the home that you, you know you'd like help with, but the value in the home is privacy, don't tell strangers our business. Don't hear your dirty Are we hearing that? Yeah, yeah, is that what you're saying? Uh, not anymore. Oh, no, but that's a pattern, though. It's a pattern. And we're yeah, not necessarily yeah. talking about your no, family. This right. is a pattern that we see for sure. Oh, very much. Yep. Yeah. And I think then, then what happens is you, you, nobody ever gets better. You never 
we never learn new patterns because we're always just repeating the negative patterns that are kind of in our in-house system, right? Yeah. Last one. Sorry. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 I mean, go ahead. Well, just the statistics are very, very clear that abuse tends to repeat in generations. And if that is in our story or in the story of someone you're dating or the story of someone you marry, once again, uh, this, this isn't um, the end of God's good news for you, but it would be very, very naive to say this isn't going to be something we have to wrestle with. This isn't going to be, this isn't going to be something we're going to have to name, uh, grieve. It's impact on our family seek healing and forgiveness. I mean, Cheryl and I have had the privilege and the horror of just about hearing and seeing everything that a couple can do to each other. And we've seen couples split over really inconsequential things. And we've seen couples come through brutal stuff. And uh, so Both in with their God, and in their story. Yeah, with God, anything is possible. But when, when you have something really toxic, addictions was raised, abuse was raised, adultery these things are complex things with deep ramifications and, and uh, we always encourage people if you have any of the three big A's addictions adultery abuse be sure to involve an appropriate third party back to the privacy thing like, like sometimes if something really bad happens within our, our relationship you know our shame and guilt rises up uh, and we go oh I don't want help you know I have to bring it up again but it was already out there so in, in you know pornography when when I try to leave it behind and I have left it behind but part of leaving it behind is really I have an accountability person in my life I have covenant eyes on my devices and I have this guy in my life well it wasn't really fun saying hey Chris a guy who I love and respect and loves and respects me uh, said hey Chris I've got this issue and I need you to help me and of course he was happy to help me this is the funny thing you think he's gonna think less of you and then actually he goes good for you right and um, but when you have some of these things, don't try to deal with them in private. There are people that can't help and want to help. So we're gonna just name a couple others and then we'll move on to how you actually deal with all this stuff. A couple other, one of them is that uh, there's sort of a cultural uh, understanding that, that relationships are all about a balance of power and that somehow it's a game for who can control who. <laughs> Who gets, who's in charge of whom? Yeah. Uh, are parents in charge of children? Are children in charge of parents? Is the husband in charge of the wife? Is the wife? It just seems like there's this sort of kind of weird cultural distortion going around that it's all about figuring out who has the power and trying to get more of it for you. That's one thing. The truth is, the truth of that, and the, and the biblical antidote to that is that, that um, Jesus said that we should learn to serve one another and that we should put the other person first in love. The, the S word, the submission word, uh, the mutual submission that, that Jesus calls calls for and tells us to live out, a lot, tells us to put somebody else's best interests up ahead of the, our own while they are putting our best interests ahead of their own. It's a wonderful, beautiful cycle that, that God has designed and we mess it up when one person doesn't do it and only one person puts the other person's best interests ahead of their own. But when we both do it, it's just this beautiful relationship that God's designed. So, Any other distortions? Um, I, I think one that's really common in our culture is like um, the, the rush of infatuation. 
as a basis for marriage. The, um, the research is that uh, we have this surge of neuropeptides that quite actually, uh, accurately, uh, physiologically make you feel different. Like they can actually track it in you and in your system. You have, wow, I'm so in love. And yes, your, your heart rate is elevated and your blood pressure is elevated and all that fun stuff when you're in love. Neuropeptides, that flood of neuropeptides lasts 12 to 18 months. 12 to 18 months. And then you months. have the rest of your life. Yes. With no peptides. <laughs> so, you know, I, I think that that's, that's something really uh, common. You know, like I can only marry somebody if I, if I really feel something. And you know, that's great to go after. And I certainly, you still make my heart race. You do. But you better match the, the, uh, the uh, neuropeptides with an increased commitment. Because this is what happens. And this is why people serially date. Because there's the rush of excitement when there's a new boyfriend or new girlfriend and the infatuation. And then after a little while, you realize, yeah, you know, now that the edge is worn off, Maybe he or she's not what I thought. And that's probably accurate. You're probably seeing things more clearly. So again, one of the clearest things to when you're dating is know somebody longer than that. <laughs> know somebody longer than that so, so you kind of know what the rest of life is like. And uh, know them in different situations. Know them uh, not just on dates. I mean, here's the problem with dating is uh, we send our ambassador to date. Right? We send the best version of ourselves to date. Go with somebody on a mission trip when they're dirty and haven't slept. <laughs> Go with somebody when, you know, when, when they're serving or, or you know, when, when talk to them during exam week. <laughs> find, out, find out who they really are. Right? Everybody can look good for two hours once in a while. But uh, find out who they are in a variety of situations. Yeah. The good news is we still date. It's fun to get dressed up and do something fancy. You never quit doing that, but the relationship's got to have more gears in the gearbox than just infatuation. Yeah. So in these last few minutes, let's talk about once you've identified some of these distortions, either in our families of origin or our culture, what do you do about them? Three things we want to leave you with. First of all, reflect honestly. Actually. Sit down and maybe you'll write it out. Here's some observations about my family of origin. Here's some things I see, good, bad, ugly, neutral. Might be a good exercise sometimes. Here's some patterns that I see in our family. Really reflect honestly about one's family. And then really reflect honestly about yourself. So how am I adopting that pattern of behavior, good, bad, or how am I adopting that pattern in my relationships now, like in my friendships? Um, do I see evidence of those same behaviors, those same patterns showing up in my relationship? Ask yourself, take an honest inventory of your relationship. And you know, this honesty about self, most of us are wired up to be uh, completely critical, right? So most of us, when we see like, oh, be honest about yourself, oh yeah, I'm poorly disciplined. I have bad handwriting. You know, I don't know. We just we, we do all this self-criticism stuff. If you're really going to be honest about yourself, talk about what's great. Yeah. Talk about what your strengths are. Talk about the gifts God's given you. Yeah. Talk about the the strengths you've learned from your family as well as the other. Like, make it an honest appraisal. That's what honesty is. It tells 360 degrees. Yeah. We're we're pretty wired up sometimes to to only be negative. 
and, here, and then when we're negative, we usually compare our weakness with somebody else's strength, and then we end up feeling poor about ourselves. So please understand, when we talk about being honest about your family and being honest about um, yourself, we're talking about the positive and the negative. Second thing, make peace. Make peace with your family. Um, I've practiced this in my own life. I, I've taught it. You know, I work when we work one on one. When I'm quite often work with guys, and and um, I spend a lot of time with guys trying to help them come to peace with their their families, and particularly their fathers. And one of the things I've learned to teach, but this would be true for all of us and our parents: learn to forgive them for how they've hurt you, and learn to give thanks for the good they've given you. Because none of us have a parent or a family that's so messed up that they haven't blessed us with something. And none of us have a family so perfect that they haven't hurt or wounded us. And it's, it's really not a strong basis to move forward if we're pretending that our family was perfect or we're pretending our family was, was never good to us at all. To somehow come to some peace, and, and what I practice, try to practice, is, is literally in prayer before God, Forgive them for how they hurt us and thank them for how they blessed us. And if your parents are still alive, this is a great time to actually do it. Do it face to face. Mm -hmm. I mean, maybe uh, sometime soon you can say, hey, we went to this conference and we went to this, uh, this workshop and, uh, and I got thinking about my, the home I grew up in. And I don't know if I've said thanks to you. Or, you know, or maybe you want to say, you know, I, I need to ask you to forgive me because I think I was kind of an idiot when I was 13. I don't know. But, you know, be put back in right relationship. And this might help you because it's helped me and it's helped a lot of guys I teach. If you're having trouble forgiving your parents, believe this. Your parents probably did the best they could. Believe it or not, your parents probably did the best they could. Here's what I don't know and you don't know for sure. You don't know what was going on in your parents' life when they did this or that. You don't know what they were struggling with. You don't know the unresolved issues with their own parents that were driving their behavior. You don't know what fears uh, what was prompting what they were doing. And, and so if you could be gracious to them, uh, fair enough to say when that happened it wasn't right or when that happened that hurt or, or whatever. But if we could learn to be gracious and go, but I don't know what you were doing and you probably did the best you could. Honestly, like I really believe that. And um, I hope that's a note of grace for you as, you as you think about trying to come to peace with your families. Uh, one of our favorite writers uh, says that uh, family is the perfect training ground for forgiveness. It really is, because mm -hmm. we're, gonna, we're gonna hurt each other. We just really are uh, when we're in such as a close couple? proximity as a couple. Yeah. But yeah. in our families of growing up, uh, we will have hurt each other. And so families are a great place to practice forgiveness in order to be able to do that when we, when we get married. Uh, and when, you, when, you're, when you're Christ followers, I mean, we're called to forgive one another. Right? Uh, 70 times 7, whatever it takes. And so we can practice that forgiveness in our families. You can practice that forgiveness right now. And believe me, <laughs> unless you plan to be flawless in your marriage, you'll benefit from that forgiveness skill when you try to grow a healthy, growing marriage. We all need that. And then the third thing <clears throat> is to make a choice or make some choices. Actually do something. Uh, if we recognize that these distorted patterns are part of our way of thinking and that we've been influenced by them, um, 
choose to actually take some steps to renew our minds. So I told you Romans 12, 2 was my favorite verse. It says, be transformed. Don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world. Don't, don't, uh, don't be so well adjusted. Don't be so well adjusted to your culture that you start behaving that way. And then the rest of the verse says, um, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. And, and the renewing of our minds is mostly God's work in us. But we have a part in that as well. We make choices. We put ourselves in situations. We put things in our head that allow us to renew our minds. So Neil and I have a few suggestions for some ways that we can renew our minds in this area. I think we can really uh, rewire our brains and watch them fresh um, by, by reading scripture. And, and I think that uh, all scripture is inspired by God. It's profitable. This is in Timothy, right? It's profitable. It tells what to do to guide us away from what not to do and, and encourage us and guide us. So all of scripture is valuable. If you're really thinking about a relationship, we really encourage people, do a word study. Just put it in your, your software or your, whatever you're using. And look up all the passages that say one another. Because sometimes when people go, oh, you know, uh, the Bible talks about marriage. Yeah, that's Ephesians 5, right? Bam. That's it. Like, that's all they read. Mm -hmm. There's three verses in Ephesians. But the whole Bible is full of counsel for how we relate to one another. And if you're married, this is the most precious, unique, intimate one another of all. And so you go down all the one another's. Be at peace with one another. Bear one another's burdens. Forgive one another. Pray with one another. I mean, it goes on and on and on. All those verses are about the kind of thing you're supposed to have with one another. Sometimes, you know, and, and I confess, growing up, I read all the one another's and go, oh, yeah, that's what you do with the lost. You know, you love the lost. And you go, yeah, but <laughs> how about the person right next to me? You know, of course I should love the lost. Of course I should bear with the lost. But how about the person right next to me? Some of those words talk about how you treat your neighbor. And it suddenly dawned on me one day that, oh, He's my nearest neighbor. Yeah. The guy in the next pillow, that's my nearest neighbor. I'm supposed to be actually doing that first. And the guy in the next pillow is me. Is you. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> Seems a little vague there. Yeah, no, no, the second thing we'd suggest is, uh, if you, as, again, as we're immersing ourselves in Scripture, but spend a lot of time in 1 Corinthians 13. I know it's cliche, it's the love chapter, but try this sometime. Put your, put your name in that chapter when you read it. So... Cheryl is patient. Cheryl is kind. Cheryl bears. Whoa, that's convicting. Try to do that. Just read that every once in a while and like see how you stack up in in terms of being able to love. Uh, it's very sobering sometimes, but it's also just helpful to constantly wash ourselves. Oh, that's oh that's what love looks like. That's what love is because. If we are absorbing all the toxins in our culture, we need to re renew our brain. Yeah. We need to rewire yeah. and, and actually learn new patterns of behavior. And that's a great chapter for that. A couple books we'd recommend. So, These are super great books. So Gary Thomas uh, has a book called The Sacred Search that's really oriented to people that aren't yet married, uh, not even uh, engaged. And I think it's a fantastic time to read this book. Uh, i got to be honest, we've done premarital counseling. Usually when people come to us for premarital counseling, it would take a freight train to stop them from getting married. I mean, the hall is booked, the invitations are out, the dress is ordered. I mean, it's done. Uh, I think it's helpful to question, ask some of these really good questions about who I am, what I'm looking for in a partner, mm -hmm. before the neuropeptides hit. 
<laughs> this is a great book. It's called The Sacred Search. Uh, there, there is a workbook. This is a little bit more when you're in a relationship. But, there's a, but Sacred Search, you should, if I had money, I'd give you all a free copy. But yeah. I don't. So, <laughs> so don't take mine. And then, and then the other book he's written, uh, Sacred Marriage. It is sort of like the best book about what Christian marriage is. Remember, we had that phrase up there before. Put off the distorted uh, patterns of what our culture says about marriage and learn to do marriage God's way. Sacred Marriage is the best single book we can recommend to you on how to do that. He fundamentally says marriage isn't about making you happy. That's what our culture says. Marriage is about making you holy. And it's profoundly important. Clearly a Christian book. Uh, <laughs> but we believe in that. Yeah. And, well, and, the, uh, and the, the interesting thing is when we pursue that holiness piece, yeah. the happiness is a byproduct. Yes. When we go after yes. the happiness, we never get yes. the fullness of what God designed marriage to be. But if we, we, just, we just have to be focused on the right things. So you can make some choices. Forgive, give thanks, be reconciled to your family, practice forgiveness now, and, 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 and grow to be the healthiest possible person you can, even right now. So um, one of our friends always likes to use this illustration. He said, imagine you, you're walking around, and you, have you ever done this? you got a cup, and it's just full to the brim. For whatever reason, you, you kind of overfilled it, and you're just gingerly moving around your apartment or your dorm room or whatever, right? And you're hoping nothing. And then, and then you bump into your roommate, and it's spilled, right? Well, whatever's in the cup is what's going to come out. And this is true in marriage, because in marriage you bump into each other a lot. And if your cup is full of love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, goodness, self-control, it's going to come out. And you'll spill it all over your marriage. And if your cup's full of unresolved anger, uh, self-esteem issues, a bitterness, when you bump, that's what's going to come out. And it's going to go all over your marriage. So if we can just say, God, would you, would you help me empty my cup? of the things that are bitter, because we've all got some of that in there. Would you fill my cup with the Holy Spirit and the fruits of the Holy Spirit so that when I get married, if that ever happens someday, or actually in all my relationships, that I would bump into people and spill goodness, you know? I think that's a nice image, and, and I think the importance of, of working on that stuff. We do need to make these choices. I want to finish the Joseph story. Some of you know the story, right? So Joseph was sold into slavery. He went to Egypt. Uh, by God's provision and protection, he becomes the second most important person in Egypt. There's Pharaoh, and then there's him. He's put in charge of everything. And there are, uh, there are seven years of plenty, and Joseph manages really well, so he stores up food, and then they go into seven years of drought and famine, and uh, everybody's out of food. And as it so happens, one day, his brothers appear before him wanting to buy grain. You know the start? And he knows who they are, and they don't know who he is. Does he not have the perfect opportunity to get even? He could do whatever he wanted with them. Chop off their heads, throw them in prison, favor one of them. And here's what he does. He makes a choice, and he says, all that weirdness in my family ends right now. And he reveals himself to his brothers, and he said, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. And he embraces his brothers, and he's reconciled. He made a choice against all. I mean, he had an opportunity that he had a right to get mad, didn't he? He had been sorely abused. And then I love this. He goes on to have two kids of his own, according to the scriptures. 
The first one's named Manasseh. Anybody happen to know what that means? To forget. Isn't that sweet? And he had another son. He named him Ephraim. And that means to be fruitful. He could have named his boys. Why me? Life's not Life fair. Sucks. I'm really angry. My family's horrible. He could have named that. He said, no. I want my story from here on to be a different story. And I'm going to name my children fruitful and to forget. So we all have baggage. We do. We're in families. We all raise our hands. We all have some sure. baggage. But the story of our family of origin does not have to be the story no. of our family or our marriage or our that. relationships. Thank God. And when we have God in the picture, all of that stuff that's inside, we, we, have, a, we have a divine help to heal that up, to get the help we need, you know, and, and to move into a future that has, is full of promise and full of fruitfulness. And so that instead of our, our relationships being um, ones that, that suck the life out of the people around us, our relationships are ones that give life and, and, and fruit to everyone yeah. we come in contact with. So that's our prayer for you, and that's God's deepest desire for you. So I think we've got so like, God, God set you free from uh, whatever baggage it is that's weighing you down. So yeah, we got a few more. We, we got, got seven minutes. Wow. Well, yeah, we have time for some questions. If you need to, I think we have five minutes. Okay. Um, the next thing's at 2.30. Oh, is it 2.30? I thought it had to start at 2. Okay, there no, you go. No. We have seven minutes. <laughs> seven minutes for questions if you want. Comments. Particularly if we'd said something that's really confusing, because yeah. I've said stuff like that. Yeah. This would be a great time to give us one more shot to say it better. So if we've confused you or left something unsaid, please ask it. Yeah. Yeah, Gary yeah, yeah, yeah. Thomas. Gary Thomas blogs extensively. Anything Gary Thomas writes is worth reading in our judgment. He doesn't only write about marriage. So you've counseled couples in marriage? Yeah, yeah, we're, we're pastors, we're not therapists, but yes. But just out of curiosity of all the couples you've counseled and suggested not to get married, and they chose to ignore you did get married, how many of them come back to you disappointed with a lot of problems? If you have you know, information on that. I, I, we can't give you a number. But a lot of couples come back and tell us it's not what we expected. <laughs> I think that's just the nature of marriage, right? We've not, any of us, done it before, and we have these ideas and we have these expectations, and it's not what we expect. The couples who then say, okay, it's not what we expected, so it's harder than we thought, the couples who are actually willing to get some help and, and recognize what their issues are, those are the ones that go on to, to, to good fruit. And to be, well, I just, we actually haven't counseled so many people not to do it. So when I said, you know, by the time they see you, that like the train is, is yeah. left the station. So at that point, we're usually just trying to go, okay, so how do we make this as strong as we can? I can think of one couple that we should have advised not to do, not to get married, but. And they're still together. They're still together. And we mentored them. By the grace of God. I think we felt responsible. I think we felt responsible, like, holy cow, I married these guys. So uh, if I can just say, we are big, big believers. If in the first five years of your marriage, you could spend a year being mentored by an older couple, that would be the best thing you could do. And just talk about life. They don't need to be experts. They don't need to fix you. But just somebody who's not going to freak out if you say, yeah, you know what, I had this fight and I don't know what to do with it and blah, blah, blah. And they go, okay, it's going to be all right. You know? <laughs> to have somebody like that. And I know sometimes our parents can be that way. 
I'm very cautious about encouraging you to look to your parents as mentors. Because parents find it super difficult not to pick sides. They can mean not to, but if you go to them and say, hey, this is happening between me and Cheryl, it's very difficult. It's the rare parent who can be even handy. So it's possible, but I'm not really optimistic. So let your parents love you and support you. That's what they're there for. And then find some mentors. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Of course. Yes. Yes. Well, first of all, repeat the question. Oh, oh, so what happens if you you want to move past your family issues, but if it's something that's ongoing and you can't forgive, but you want to yeah, you want to forgive and be reconciled, but you can't. Um, true forgiveness actually has two components, and that's when people ask for forgiveness and then forgiveness is granted. That's when true forgiveness and reconciliation can happen. When only one side of that is present, you can't really have reconciliation. I think we can we can learn how to forgive in our hearts in order for us not to be burdened by it and carry that load around. God can give us that ability. I think when there's ongoing behavior that's inappropriate, that's unhealthy, then I think it's time to involve a professional. That would be my, my response to that. Somebody who can guide us through uh, the proper steps in ongoing bad behavior. And, and I want to live realistically with you and say not every relationship can be restored. Mm -hmm. Because uh, sometimes it is the other party. Mm -hmm. Uh, there's a very interesting verse. One of the verses that says, live at peace with one another, the first part of that says, insofar as it depends on you, live at peace with one another. I can't come up with a reference for that, but, but look it up in your Bible software. Insofar as it depends on you, live at peace. It is possible that, that, that you or I or Cheryl could, could have somebody in our life where we are trying to be humble, we're trying to own our, our share of whatever the story is. We're honestly, humbly seeking forgiveness, the other person says, say what they say, but just forget it. Or they say, yeah, yeah, and then they abuse us again. At some point you go, and so far as it depends on me, I've tried to be reconciled. But until God does a miraculous change in the heart, I don't know what else to do. And sometimes it's not safe for you. you we could be in a situation where it's not safe to keep going back uh, to that situation until God does the miracle. So I guess that the verse I've plant with you is insofar as it depends on you live at peace with one another but you, you know it's sad we live in a broken world and sometimes other people don't want to be reconciled or, or they're trapped they're so locked in their own negative cycle of behavior they can't act healthy to us like maybe it is an addiction or something. and those are super painful and this is where we need one another sisters and brothers you need to be in a community. You need to be in a small group. You need to be in a worshiping church or something. Because when some of these roads get really difficult to walk, who are you going to lean on? Who's going to help you through? Who's going to say, I'll pray with you. I'll hold you. 
I'll believe with you for this person, even though we don't see the fruit of it yet. You know, you're going to need somebody to walk with you. And so it's so important to be that way and be authentic with one another. Sorry for the sermon, but you know what? If you haven't had deep hurt in your life, you probably will. <laughs> but we have a Lord and a Savior who, who the man of sorrow is well acquainted with grief. And we can talk to him. And we can talk to his people about the brokenness in our lives. And he can do something about it. So we're, we're done here. Can we just pray over you yeah. and release you to your next class? We would just be privileged to be there. I think it's awesome you guys would take some of your Christmas break to come here. Yeah. Really, really proud of you. Go ahead and pray. Father, I thank you for each person in this room. And only you know their stories. Only you know their their families of origin, their background, the things that, that have happened to them in their life. Uh, but God, we, we trust you to be at work in us, renewing us, making us over, making us more into the you you created us to be, into the we you created us to be. And, and Father, I just entrust them and their relationships to you. I pray that you'd be at work in them and that you would heal up those broken places in order to allow them to enter fully into the relationships in their future yeah. that you have for them. So I pray this in Jesus' name. Bless you. We're Enjoy here the rest of the conference. Yeah. Chat a little bit more, but, Can we just um, say thank you to Neil? To learn more or to register for next year, go to p2cplus.com.